You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. If you guys want to turn in your Bibles with me uh, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses uh, 16 to 17 here in a moment. We're continuing on with our uh, series on our six distinctives, identity shaping. Uh, Maybe you saw when you you came in here, maybe you've heard before, uh, the mission of our church, we want to see lost people saved, saved people matured, matured people multiplied, all to the glory of God. And uh, that's our, our prayer, that's what we're aiming towards, and and how do we hope to do that? We hope to do that by these kind of six distinctives uh, guiding us and shaping us. And we've already went through a number of them. We want to be about fervent prayer in our church, uh, seeking God, asking Him to do things that we can't. Um, we want to be about bold preaching. And so I'm always, I always pray before I uh, begin. I always pray after. I'm praying throughout the week that God would speak through me. I want to be about passionate worship, continue to exalt the name of the Lord uh, in greater degrees and fashion. We want to be about purposeful discipleship. That like not every, everyone should be growing up in the Lord. Everyone should be growing up into spiritual maturity. We want to see that uh, happening at our church. We're praying that God would do that. And, and today we're going to be talking about courageous evangelism. That's what we want to be uh, doing as a church. We want to be doing that in word and deed. And I'll talk about what that means is in word, we need to share our faith. Indeed, our lives need to match the words that we are sharing. And, uh, and really, as, as we do proper discipleship within the church and outside of the church, it actually leads to courageous evangelism. So as we're making disciples, we're learning about the faith that we need to share. And then we're going out, we're feeling convicted and wanting to go and share that with other people. And, uh, and as more people come to faith in Christ, then they come into the church and we need to be making disciples. And so it's actually like two sides of the same coin. We need to be about making disciples, so we need to be about sharing our faith. And as we share in our faith, we need to be making disciples. And of course, we'll lead to our last kind of distinctive we'll talk about next week, which is uh, church planting, strategic church planting. So even as you see more disciples made and more people reach with the gospel, we want to see more churches planted to make more disciples to reach more people and pray that by God's grace it would continue to multiply. And so this morning uh, we're just going to be looking at courageous evangelism and really my four points are know the gospel, share the gospel, live the gospel, keep trusting the gospel. Amen, we can all go home. (laughs) No, we haven't even read the scripture yet. If you want to stand with me, let's look at Romans uh, chapter 1. I'll be focused on 16, 17 this morning, but for context, we're going to start in verse 13, a reading. Romans 1, starting in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first 
and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Uh, before continuing on, I would just like to again go to the Lord in prayer. If you want to bow with me. Oh Lord, what a, what a passage of scripture. I, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, help me to uh, proclaim the word I've studied this week. I pray you would give us open ears and open hearts what you'd have to say to us this morning. I pray by your work in us, Lord, that we would not be ashamed of your gospel, that actually this message would, would spur us on, would encourage us to share our faith with more people, O oh Lord. God, only you can uh, do this work by using the preaching of your word to build up your church, to uh, draw people who don't know you to yourself, that they would see Jesus Christ, that they would believe even today. Oh Lord, so build your church as, as you see fit. Lord, use this word uh, to mature us as disciples and to help us as we we'd seek to make your name known uh, in, in Red Deer and wherever you would have us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, looking at courageous evangelism this morning, we're going to be in Romans. The one thing about, or maybe one of the few things about kind of a, a message, we're in different books of the Bible each week. I can't wait to be just in one book. But we're, we're in Romans here this morning. Uh, the great book of Romans, just the background, Paul was on his third missionary journey as he wrote uh, to Rome. He hadn't visited there before. He wanted to. Some most people think he was maybe in Corinth as he wrote the letter uh, to Rome. And basically, it's like Theology 101, Systematic Theology, the, the book of Romans. It's phenomenal. I think for the guys who are in uh, Dave's study uh, this fall and winter, you guys are going to be blessed going through Romans. And even as I, as I went into this text, as I read it, as I started studying it, I'm like, wow, this, there's way more going on in these two verses than I had realized. It's so thick, so thick that even uh, Vance had preached th this passage about a year ago. I think John Anderson from Redemption Olds had also preached the same passage at a previous time. Every time you go to it, it's like, I don't know if anyone's made oranges. Not, maybe not a good example in Alberta, uh, but I imagine as you squeeze the fruit, you continue to get more juice. This passage is something that's like every time you go to it, there's more and there's more and there's more. And I'm like, wow, there's so much going on here. And as I was reading commentaries, there's a few people I always want to quote that I'm like, okay, that it is, there's a lot going on in this text. James Montgomery Boyce said this, in the 16th and 17th verses of Romans 1, we come to sentences that are the most important in the letter and perhaps in all literature. I'm like, These are the theme of this epistle and the essence of Christianity. They are the heart of biblical religion. As I, as I read this passage, study, amen. There's so much here. Uh, John MacArthur says this, these two verses express the theme of the book of Romans and they contain the most life-transforming truth God has put into men's hands. And, and so friends, I will not be able to do justice to what's in the word of God. I pray by God's spirit, he will open it up to our hearts and minds this morning. And even as, as we start, so we're going to, the first point is know the gospel. We'll be going through those first two verses just to let you know my four points are not equally weighed. The first point, know the gospel, is really going through it, is really pulling it apart 
and thinking through it. Because if we don't know the gospel, how are you to share the gospel? How are you to live the gospel? How do you continue on uh, trusting in the gospel? You can't. So know the gospel. It's going to be a lot more in terms of time. Uh, and then the next points will be a little bit less. So just as you know, if, as you're like, wow, we're not done the first point yet. If you have Thanksgiving dinner to get to, you may still get to it. <laughs> and even as we go through this, know the gospel, I want you to see kind of each uh, verse, each section is like, I want to paint a picture of the gospel, and each section is just giving greater clarity. Like if you're seeing someone painting a picture and you're starting to see it, then the next point is going to add more color, I hope and pray, and you'll see with greater clarity what is the gospel. So know the gospel. That's how does Paul begin? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel simply means good news. But what, what's good news? Uh, the reason there's good news is because there's bad news. And bad news leads to good news. And maybe you ask, like, well, what is the bad news? The bad news is that God is holy and righteous and just. And you'd be right to say, that's bad? Well, no, it's, it's bad because we are not. We are not holy. We are not righteous. We don't do what is right all the time. And we're actually, we're all sinners. We do what is wrong. We're opposed to God's ways. And our sin separates us from God. Not only does it separate us from God, but it also demands God's justice. Our sin against the holy God must be dealt with. It must be paid for. Justice must be had. We understand justice in a sense that if a law is broken, the penalty for it must be paid. Right? Like we can grasp that. Uh, in the springtime, I was taking my son Judah to a baseball practice, and as I was uh, trying to get him there on time, I, I don't know about you, when you see like the walking signals countdown, there's, there's two ways you're going to go with it. Either that means for you to slow down, or for the other half of us, it means to, I have to beat this light. <laughs> and so I, at that time, I was in that category. And so I, I, I sped up, and I went through, and, and my son said, I think I saw a flash. And I'm like, I, didn't, I don't think so. But a, a few weeks later, I received in the mail uh, the ticket. And it's like, you can go and argue it. I wasn't going to argue at all. I was speeding. I broke the law. I got a speeding ticket, and I paid it, right? So we got to understand that when the law is broken, there's something that it demands in order to uh, be punished. Like, we get that in a very small degree but think about this though the bad news Romans uh, 323 that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all of us so like there's no one that's out of that category that we're not even coming close to God's glory you just think of the Ten Commandments uh, if, if just like has anyone ever lied before and, and no one can say no I haven't lied that would be a lie has anyone ever if we were taking something that we haven't that wasn't ours stole something and we I think we'd all have to make, yeah, we have taken something we, we haven't, that wasn't ours. And if I went through the list of the Ten Commandments, we would actually say, yeah, I've broken them all. And, and so what is that? We're, we're lawbreakers before a holy and righteous God, and we sin against not only a holy and righteous God, an eternal God. And so as we sin against an eternal God, we deserve an eternal punishment. The Bible calls this hell. Will there be eternal torment? God's punishment for sinners. I just want to bring your attention to uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 25. I'll just read it quickly. 
There are three parables. The last one is the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's talking about the end of days. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, uh, so God will shepherd, separate people. And he says this in Matthew 25, verse 41. He will say to those on his left, this would be the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. It's an eternal fire. And at, at the end of this parable, in verse 46, he says this, Jesus says this, you will, these will go away into eternal punishment, the righteous into eternal life. So even as we're talking about God's justice, it's, in a, it's an eternal justice, an eternal punishment. And friends, as sinners, we all qualify. We all deserve it. We're, we're guilty. But the thing is, in order to hear the good news, you have to say, yes, yes, I'm guilty. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came down, clothed as, as, as a man, and he lived a perfect life. He kept the law perfectly. He was righteous. And then he was taken to a Roman cross where he was crucified. And on the cross, he took our sins not only our sins, but the punishment that we deserved. The punishment for our sins. The Bible says it's God's wrath. Jesus took God's wrath upon himself on the cross, was buried, and then rose again. And the, the good news is, as we're going to hear today, that if you believe in Jesus, then his death is for you. His punishment paid for your sins, and, and then we receive forgiveness, eternal life. So I want you to see Again, the gospel, it says there in this text, in Romans 1.16, where Paul talks about the gospel, he says it is the power of God for salvation. That term salvation just simply means to be saved. It can refer to salvation from enemies in the New Testament, primarily used as salvation from sin and death through the work of Jesus Christ. So friends, though, we can seek salvation in so many different places in this world. If you just think about it, the problems of this world, maybe we start to seek salvation. Sometimes it's like, hey, we want to, if we have the right knowledge, if we know the right things, that, that could be a type of salvation. It's, it's not. It's not the salvation we're talking about. They'll get knowledge. Learn all you can. Now, sometimes we can think, okay, with the problems of our world, they're like having the right people in political places is salvation. It's not. It's not the salvation we're talking about, but by all means, be politically involved. By all means, do what you can while you can. Sometimes we think maybe salvation is having the right supplies on hand. Food, money, resources. That's not the salvation we're talking about, though I'd say get those things. I'd say be prepared. I don't know about if anyone in Oriole Park, we had a blackout yesterday. I woke up yesterday morning to the light, everything off. My phone's dead, I can't plug it in, and I'm like, I'm actually not prepared for anything to go wrong. We need to be more prepared, but that's not the salvation I'm talking about here this morning. Sometimes maybe we think if we can just live the right way, do what's right, try to do our best. We, we should aim at that, absolutely, but that's not the salvation I'm talking about. Even maybe going to church and reading your Bible, being with God's people, if that's good, we should do that, but that's not the salvation I'm talking about here this morning. The, 
We're talking about the power of God for salvation. As in, we cannot do it ourselves. We see this in the Old Testament. The power of God for salvation over and over again. God is powerful to bring salvation to his people. You think of Noah and the ark. Right? God told Noah to build an ark. And and, and Noah was obedient to it. He didn't know the floods were coming until God told him. And as he prepared that ark and him with uh, uh, seven other people, and they they got in and they were saved. God saved them. That's the power of God for salvation. In the Old Testament, when uh, when God's people, the Hebrews, were in Egypt under uh, Pharaoh for slavery, they were powerless to do anything. They were slaves. They were stuck in that position. But God, through Moses, came in. If you, if you grew up in the church, you know the story. How God used uh, ten plagues to basically break Pharaoh's grip and release the people. And then they even went through the, the Red Sea. As on dry land, waters parted. God has the power for salvation. It's God who does it. I'm just, I want to tell you this here this morning, we can trust in so many other things. But the salvation we're talking about, it, it has to be a work of God. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The salvation is the power of God. I just want to bring your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, thinking through this, how this is the power of God for salvation. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were dead. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were walking away from God. We didn't want anything to do with God. But think about this, the power of God for salvation. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we are dead in our sin, God reached down and saved us. It's the power of God for salvation. You think about this, God saves. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. We are saved from sin. We are saved from death. We are saved from this broken world. We are, again, also saved from God's holy wrath, the punishment that we deserved. This is a work of God. Jesus did it, accomplished it on the cross. I'll continue to say but the question is, how do you receive that? Going back to the passage of, in Romans, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's to everyone who believes. Is it like, I believe. It's everyone who believes in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 is written, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved. Men mean men and women, everyone. It's a belief that trusts, that surrenders. It's an all-in belief with everything I have. I, I can't do it justice. I was thinking, how do I describe it? It's like, I believe tomorrow's going to be a good day. Tomorrow I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving. I'm going to eat a lot of turkey, pumpkin pie. I believe tomorrow's going to be a good day. But I'm not using the same way belief there as I'm saying, hey, 
We need to believe in order to be saved. When I'm saying to believe in Jesus Christ, I'm using a type of belief that I mean that it's like everything, it's all in. It's like I'm staking my entire life on my belief in Jesus Christ. I'm taking everything I've done in the past to the cross. I've been forgiven. I'm taking everything I'm dreaming about in the future, my hopes, ambitions, and dreams, everything I have in my bank, bank account or that I will have, my family, my plans, everything, I'm laying it down at the cross. I'm saying, I believe in Jesus Christ and you are my king. That's the belief I'm talking about. Salvation is for everyone who believes. It's not just like, yeah, I, I just prayed a prayer. I'm just going to carry on with life as I, as I know it. No, that's not the belief it's talking about. It's not about belief for salvation in God. This salvation that we receive as we believe, that's peace with God, right? That we know that we can accomplish it. It's not through working harder. It's not through getting better or making changes. It's knowing that only God can save us. I just said, I'll say again, that Jesus becomes king of our lives. We rest completely in his finished work on the cross. Jesus on the cross, right, he said as he's breathing his last, he said, it is finished. The sacrifice for sins that need to be made is finished on the cross. And so we, believing in him, just like, yes, I'm trusting in his finished work. I, you, can do nothing. We can add nothing. We can simply believe in Jesus Christ. His sacrifice for sins were were for my sins. Again, it's not this like, yeah, yeah, we all believe together. It needs to be like, no, I believe it was for my sins. And it was sufficient for me. It's sufficient for all the things I've done in the darkness that nobody knows about. I'm forgiven for that because of Jesus. So that old hymn says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We must believe. But it says there, it says, it's to everyone who believes. I love that. It's for everyone. Romans 1.14, Paul says just previous, he says, I'm under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. As in to the educated, the barbarians, they even have that term is because they were making fun of the speech that they heard. Like bar, bar, bar. It was like, we don't even understand what they're saying. The educated all the way to the barbarians. The poor to the rich. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. I love this. Sinners qualify, right? Like that's, we've all maybe had a, a, a loan that we're like, hey, you're pre-qualified for it. You're like, I don't need this. I don't need the interest rates. <laughs> But in, in Jesus Christ, how do you qualify for such a great gift as salvation? It's for sinners. It's for sinners. I just want to show you this. This is, again, good news here this morning. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, I'm just, I can read it there or you could turn. Luke chapter 5, this is the calling of Levi. Jesus called a tax collector, Levi. He, his, also, his other name was Matthew. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. And as he calls him to himself, he, he's, he, Levi says, I'm going to leave everything I have and I'm going to follow you. And then he goes to Levi's house with all the other tax collectors. And now they're like the hated people of society. And he's sitting there and he's eating with the sinners. And I love the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. They said in verse 30, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I love what Jesus says. 
And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, friends. It's for everyone, everyone who would say, yes, I am a sinner. Sinners qualified. Righteous people don't. That's the deal, right? If you're like, actually, I have my life together, you don't need Jesus. It's only when you're like, actually, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, and I can't do it myself. You qualify. Believe in, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And what, is it, what does he say? I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that term repentance is like believe, but put in that belief is, is like saying, yes, I have sin in my life. I'm going to confess it to you. I have things that I've done wrong, and I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to seek to live differently. Forgive me for my sins, and repenting is turning away from it, and I want to live differently. So that it, tied in with that belief is, is faith and repentance. Going back to the passage there in Romans, again, thinking of the gospel, continue to add more color to this picture or painting, if you will. What is the gospel? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Jew first or also to the Greek or the non-Jewish person could be Gentile in your, in your Bible. We looked at this a little bit, John 4.22, when we talked about fervent prayer. Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews. The promises were made to uh, Abraham, who was a Jew. They had the Old Testament scriptures. The, the Messiah came from them. But then we also understand that as Jesus came, he also came for the Gentiles. But all throughout Romans, you see first to the Jew and then to the, the Greeks. Douglas Moo says this, Paul insists that the promises of God realized in the gospel are first of all for the Jew. To Israel, the promises were first given, and to the Jews, they still particularly apply without in any way subtracting from the equal access that all people now have to the gospel. And even just a side point, what we see happening in Israel, we'll pray for the peace of Israel, pray for Jerusalem, and pray for salvation of the Jews, that they would trust in Jesus Christ. They still must enter in how we all enter in, even having those promises given to them. It's through faith in Christ. So continuing on, as we think about the gospel there in verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. That righteousness is what is provided. And friends, that righteousness is what is needed. As in righteousness is in li living a proper life. Living a proper way. Always obedient. We, do, we are not righteous. I'll speak for myself. I know I am not righteous. But it's not our righteousness, but Christ. Again, I already said that Jesus Christ... He was God, God in the flesh. When he came to earth, he was holy with, without sin, but he also, in his humanity, in his flesh, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He was righteous. And he died on the cross as a righteous man. Doing what? Taking our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, Jesus, took our sin, became our sin, so that in him we might receive the righteousness of God. So Jesus, the righteous one, takes our sin upon himself on the cross. We receive his righteousness credited to our account. It's called the great exchange, theologians call that. I don't know what else you call it. I don't know if there's a better word than great. But you just think, like, I know and in myself, I'm broken, I'm a sinner. 
but because of what Jesus done, I'm receiving his perfect righteousness. You, as you believe in him, that's what we have uh, over our lives. I just want to show you this again a little bit more. If you want to turn with me, or I believe it will be up here on the screen, uh, Philippians 3, uh, 8 to 9. Thinking about the righteousness of God. Philippians 3, 8 to 9. Paul, after, after listing all these things of why he could, like, humanly speaking, trust in himself. In verse 5, it's not up there, but I'll just read it. He's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. That's where the first king came from. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. In terms of religious, religiosity, he's like, I was in the top group. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He's like, I took it to the farthest you could. I killed Christians. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, in terms of keeping all the commandments, Paul's like, I did it. I did it as far as I could. And whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Think about that, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Friends, that if we lose everything else on this world and gain Christ, we're victorious. Like that is, that's a plus. We win. Paul's like, he's not that you have to like, I'm throwing away everything. But in comparison to follow Jesus Christ, you're laying it all down. God, you do with it whatever you want. But what do you receive? In verse 9, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing what's right, trying to keep all of God's commandments on my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Like that's the amazing thing, this righteousness that we can't earn, we can't be good enough, we can't do enough. Again, we can't reach it, we can't arrive at it. But through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, it is given to us. The righteousness of God. How amazing is that? Friends, so we need to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. We need to know the power of God. The salvation for all who believe in a righteousness from God. Can we praise God for that? Amen? A few people tracking here with me. You guys are you're all quiet looking at me. I don't know if you're with me. So we need to know the gospel. Friend, I, I, I can't get excited enough as I need to about the truths that this conveys. And not, not to put on an act, I'm reading it and I'm like, man, that's how I pray to the Lord, man, how can I properly convey the truths of these words? I could be jumping up and down, I could be spinning around, and it's, it wouldn't do enough, I could have a bullhorn. Oh, may the Lord apply it to our hearts. So we need to know the gospel. And as, as we know the gospel, the next point, we need to share the gospel. We need to share the gospel. We need to not be ashamed. Again, look what, how Paul introduced this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So to believe, you need to know the gospel. To know the gospel, think about this, you need to hear it. And to hear it, someone needs to share with you. Right? Like, no, no one's like, and again, I, I love the mountains. No one's hiking in the mountains and standing up and looking at the beauty 
of God's creation, and then in the wind it's whispering, believe in Jesus Christ. That's not happening. The glory of God is revealed in a certain way in creation. But if you want salvation, you need to know about Jesus Christ. Someone needs to share with you. Look at Romans uh, chapter 10 with me. We need to share the gospel. Romans 10, starting in verse 13. Paul wrote this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But verse 14, How then will they call on him in who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, if you are a Christian... Can I ask, are you, do you have beautiful feet? In Ephesians, it talks about the different armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, and, your, and the feet that are fitted with the gospel, gospel readiness. I don't care what kind of shoes you have. If you are a Christian, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Are your feet, are you ready? Are you ready to share we must share. Again, even someone could watch a life of a Christian in silence for years, just quietly watching. Why do they do the things they do? No, they need to be able to interact. How can they believe in Jesus Christ? How can they call upon his name if they never hear the name of Jesus? We need to share the gospel. There's that famous quote. I don't even know if Francis Assisi actually said it. But he's, it's attributed to him that he said this, share the gospel by all, means, by all means necessary. I'm messing it up. I didn't write it down. If necessary, use words. Share the gospel by all means. If necessary, use words. That's totally false. Share the gospel with all words you have and may your life back it up. The gospel is a verbal proclamation of what Jesus did on the cross. We need to share it with our words. But friends, we will not share if we're ashamed or scared. Right? Like Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can anyone be ashamed? Mark 8.38, Jesus says this, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, when Jesus comes back. If you're ashamed of me now, Jesus says, I'll be ashamed of you when I come back. But just think about this. I, I've been ashamed before and been silent. Maybe you have too. We have Peter, the apostle, as an example. Peter, who is with Jesus for like three and a half years, walking with him. And, and then in the, in the moment of truth, as Jesus is taken before the Sanhedrin and they're about to crucify him, right? You know, if you know the story. And, and, and other people are coming up like, hey, hey, Peter. You're with that guy, right? He's like, no, no, I don't know him. Oh, hey, I recognize your accent. I think you're a Galilean. I think you're with, no, it's not me. I'm pretty sure I saw him with you earlier. Now it's someone else. In, in the moment of greatest need, Peter, he shrunk back. He was ashamed. He was scared. 
Jesus in John's gospel, he forgave them. That, so that's, I, I, don't, I don't think it's not the, it's unpardonable sin to be ashamed of the gospel. There's mercy. There's mercy for Peter. There's mercy for us. But I think we can actually be ashamed. There's a, there's a foolishness to the cross. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. I think there's a foolishness to the cross of Christianity that we need to embrace. You know, because it, it basically, again, it says, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I can't get her done. I can't pull myself up by the bootstraps. To me, God's holy standard, I have nothing. And it, it grinds against our pride. It grinds against us. And you think about the foolishness of the cross. You're like, how can you be forgiven? Well, God came to his own creation, became one of us, clothed in human flesh, humbled himself to such an extent, born as a baby, grew up, lived a perfect life, and then he died. He died on the worst place of execution, a Roman cross, the most degrading place someone could die at that time. He was nailed to a piece of wood for my sins for you. Buried in the grave, he rose again. And everyone who believes in him is forgiven. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. What, what should, like, no, no, that's it. And to some, it's the message of life. And you hear and believe, and it's the greatest thing you can possibly hear. And for others, it's complete foolishness. But friends, we can't shrink back. Jeffrey Wilson wrote this, The unpopularity of a crucified Christ has prompted many to present a message which is more palatable to the unbeliever. But the removal of the offense of the cross always renders the message ineffective. An inoffensive gospel is also an inoperative gospel. Friends, Paul knew the gospel, the power of God, and he openly declared, I am not ashamed. Even as Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, though we, a few, if you're with us a few weeks back in Ephesians chapter 6, 19 and 20, we see that Paul, when he's in prison, he asks for prayer. Prayer that words would be given to him and prayer that he would have boldness. Even though he's like, I'm not ashamed, he's praying for boldness. He's praying for words to be given him. Pa- Paul, Paul had to ask for that. How much me, how much you, that we need to pray for boldness because friends, can we be ashamed? There, there are things that we can rightly be ashamed about. Certain sports teams, I won't, I won't name any. Uh, <laughs> food preferences, I was thinking, I'm like, how can I name something that doesn't insult someone? So I was like, spaghetti with peanut butter. Hopefully that's no one, no one's like, oh, that's me. So <laughs> there's, you know, there's certain things that are like, ah, I don't really want to let people know about that. We can be ashamed, and maybe rightly so, about those things. But how can we be ashamed about the gospel? Well, something so good, something so glorious. Well, I think part of it is that we're told by our culture not to share our faith. Don't force it on, on everyone. Keep it to yourself. Right? Just don't, don't talk about anyone. And we're, we're, we're taught that from, like, from the time we're like babies over and over and over again. Keep it to yourself. Don't share with anyone. Keep it to yourself. And it does have an effect on us. We're, we're told it's arrogant to say that there's only one way to God. And that we have the truth, not just one truth. We can be shamed to talk talk about aspects of God in the Bible. Talk about God's holiness, again, to to claim that there's a truth. To talk about the purity called for in sexuality. 
That's from the Bible to talk about hell. Because friends, what is it? I think it's because we can fear man more than God. I think it ultimately comes down to that. We can fear uh, people more than we fear God. And, And if that's true of you, it's been true of me before, we just need to ask God for forgiveness. Lord, Lord, forgive me. I've actually made, I was more fearful of this person than I was of you. And we just need to repent of that. And I just want to encourage you with these words, Colossians 4, 2 to 6. This is Paul's prayer, and I think we can learn something through it. So to not be ashamed of the gospel. Colossians 4, 2 to 6, Paul at the end of this letter, again, he's in prison here. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. We can pray. Pray for opportunities. Pray for each other. Opportunities to share our faith. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray for clarity. Opportunities and clarity. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. We pray for opportunities, pray for clarity, and then be gracious in sharing. No one's ever been argued into the kingdom. Right? If If I can just talk louder, if I can speak quicker. No one's ever been argued into the kingdom. We need to be gracious. But we need to pray for opportunities and look for them, and God will give them to us. But then we need to share the gospel. We need to share about Jesus Christ. And again, this is the calling for all of us. If you are a Christ follower, it's on you, it's on me. Right, like we're all going to like a, a well, God willing, maybe you already had a Thanksgiving dinner or a family get-together. Or, or maybe you're not, or maybe it's the places you work or the people you live by. There are people in your life that everyone else will not interact with, and only you. And it's your responsibility to share Christ with those people. So you just, just think about the Thanksgiving uh, dinner that is, is going to happen. Like the reality is, when we're going to share, it's not like you're like, hey guys, everyone be quiet, I'm going to talk to you for half an hour. <laughs> it's this conver- conversation back and forth, interacting, and sometimes you just got to put, put something out there, like, can, you, can I tell you about the history of Thanksgiving? Why we celebrate on a Monday? The governor general, hey, we should obey the government. The governor general, no one said amen. amen. (laughs) The governor general said, hey, we should give thanks to God Almighty. Did you know that? See where that conversation goes. Right, you're opening up conversations to talk about spiritual things. You want to get to Jesus Christ. I think we have a great opportunity with families gathering, and I'm even saying this, I know, even for some people that I'll be visiting with, they don't want anything to do with it. I'll be praying. I'll be sharing, just sharing a little bit, looking to share uh, the faith. But again, and then we want to use simple language when we share about Jesus Christ. And you can simply say, as, as you get there, Jesus changed my life. Jesus is changing my life. You can use the language of the Bible. I, I was once lost, but now I'm found. Like spiritually speaking, I was spiritually speaking, I was blind. Now I can see. I, I have a joy in my heart that nothing in the world could ever touch. No drugs, no amount of money, no amount of success. 
Just, just simple language and start pointing them to Jesus Christ. We need to know the gospel, friends. We need to share the gospel. And I promise the next two points will be less. Looking at verses uh, 17 again, we need to live the gospel. Verse 17, Paul says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith for faith. From faith for faith. Is this speaking of what comes before the gospel or what comes after? The righteous shall live by faith. Truthfully, there's a lot of ink that has been spilled upon this. Uh, I believe it's both. I believe when he says it's from faith for faith, it's talking about what God has done in the gospel, and it's that the righteous shall live by faith. There's some, a similar construction in 2 Corinthians 2.16 where it talks about the gospel is like life to life. From faith for faith. Douglas Moose says this, the combination is rhetorical and is intended to emphasize that faith and nothing but faith can put us into right relationship with God. Right? Faith comes from the power of God for salvation, the gift of salvation, and then we have the faith to believe. Yet that faith in the gospel is also how we are to continue on and live out the Christian walk, right? So if courageous evangelism is in word and deed, word we need to share the gospel, deed we need to be living out the truths of the gospel. From faith for faith, our faith is directed to Jesus Christ, where our salvation comes from, but also he is the one who is changing and transforming us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like you don't just like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian because like years ago I believed in Jesus Christ. From faith for faith. No, because today, today I'm believing in Jesus Christ for my everything. And as we actually put our faith and trust in Jesus, he's changing and transforming us. We need to live out the gospel. We need to continue in faith in him. And as we are, we believe in a gospel that not only actually saves, but actually transforms. Over time, we're all at different places, but actually God will make us more faithful. He'll make us uh, more pure, actually walking in purity. He'll make us uh, people that are full of character, tell the truth, full of integrity. God will shape us that way. Quite simply, our faith works. As in our faith in the transforming work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit doing it in us, it actually has an effect. Right? Our faith needs to be seen in the fruit of our lives. It's never like, hey, do as I say, not as I do. No, as a, as a Christian, it's like when I'm telling you about something, it needs to be seen in my life. Think about it. You would... Would you trust a personal trainer who's like grossly out of shape? <laughs> Would you trust a mechanic whose car breaks down and never works? Would you trust a doctor who smokes all the time? I don't know, maybe some of you have one. But would you trust a Christian? If we're a Christian, you're sharing. You're like, Jesus Christ changes lives. And someone looks at your life, and they're like, I don't see it. And friends, I'm not talking about perfection. We're, we're all just, we're all works Moving along. Works in progress, right? But I am talking about faith in Jesus actually does change. But it's the same way as we believed in Jesus for salvation. We believe in Jesus for today. That he can change me. That he can transform me. Our lives should match up. Have faith in Christ today. God will keep changing us. So we need to live the gospel. We need to know the gospel, share the gospel Live the gospel. Lastly, we need to 
Keep trusting the gospel. The last part there, verse 17. Paul says, it's the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. I don't know if you see in your Bible, that's a quotation. Paul is quoting from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. I just want to explain just briefly what was happening in Habakkuk uh, because the understanding of that verse helps understand what Paul's saying there. In the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk lived during the, the late 7th century. The book begins, Habakkuk is questioning God. He's saying, I see like the wicked flourishing and surrounding the righteous. God, how can that be? It's kind of this question and answer. Then God responds, actually, I'm going to bring judgment on the wicked, the Chaldeans or the, the Babylonians, modern-day Iraq. The people are going to come from there. They're going to bring judgment upon the people. God's like, I will bring justice. Habakkuk responds, the Babylonians, like they're wicked. We're more righteous than them. And, and he has not yet seen that happen, so he questions them again. And God reassures Habakkuk, judgment will come on the wicked, all wicked, but the righteous will live by faith. He's like, Habakkuk, you, you haven't yet seen it. You haven't yet seen God's justice. Maybe you see wickedness happening. Continue to believe in me. Continue to trust in me. He's like, I will take care of it. Writer F.F. Bruce, commentator, wrote this, Habakkuk crying out to God against the oppression under which his people groaned, received the divine assurance that wickedness would not triumph indefinitely, that righteousness would ultimately be vindicated and the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. This vision might be slow in being realized, but it would certainly be fulfilled. Friends, what, is, what does Paul mean? The righteous shall live by faith. I think it's keep trusting in the gospel. Right now, you may look around, you may see a dark time, the wicked prospering, lies flourishing. The truth is hard to find. I'm just, I'm just quoting from Isaiah 59. I'm just going to read it for you. Isaiah 59, verse 14. Justice is turned back. Righteous stands far away. Think, is this, is this hard time? For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlines he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Friends, we have not yet seen that. But the righteous shall live by faith. We will keep trusting, keep believing in Jesus Christ and what he's done, knowing that one day he will return. One day he will set all things right. One day he will bring justice. Keep trusting the gospel, the promises of God. It's all, it's all about Jesus, right? Friends, I just want to share a story with you to finish, to think about what effect should the gospel have in our lives, to, to know the gospel, share the gospel. 
keep trusting the gospel, live the gospel, it should radically change us. Says everything we have should be laid down at the Lord's feet. So I want to tell a story about these two young men. Uh, they're, they're called the Moravians. I don't know if you ever heard of the Moravians. In the late 17th century, they sent out so many missionaries from this small group of people, a place called Moravia. They had like a 100-year prayer meeting. Well, these two men who are Moravians, as they're praying and, and seeking the Lord, and they're like, yes, I'm giving my all to Jesus. I want to share Jesus with everyone I can. They found out about this little island that was full of, uh, of slaves. And no one was allowed onto this island, and they were burdened that these, these slaves would never hear the name of Jesus Christ. And so they sold themselves into full-time slavery. And with the money from selling themselves into slaves, they bought their passage on a ship to travel over there. And as they left the ship, as people on the shores were weeping, knowing they'd never see them again, they called out, may the lamb that was slain receive the rewards of his suffering. May Jesus Christ be glorified. May he be honored. Is he not worthy for us to make much of Jesus Christ? Will you bow with me as I close this word in prayer? Oh God, I pray you take uh, my feeble attempt uh, to proclaim this passage. I pray, oh Lord, by your spirit that we would know the gospel in greater ways. Help us be able to articulate this life-saving, life-giving message. Oh Lord, I pray even today, in the days to come, Lord, give us more opportunity to share the love of Christ with others. And Lord, use this word to help us to, to share Jesus Christ with many more. Lord, forgive us where we have been silent. Forgive us where we have been ashamed. Increase our fear of you and destroy the fear of man within us. And we thank you, Jesus Christ, for the work that you've done on the cross. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.